0: We are in Genesis chapter 46. We are going to see the long awaited reunion of a son, favorite son, and his father. And scripture is going to spend four verses on it. Or just a couple verses, I should say. And what they spend, what the scripture says, spends most of the time on is the land of Goshen. So we're going to find out why is the land of Goshen so important? That it is mentioned, after it's first brought up in chapter 45, in this chapter and going into uh halfway through 47, we're going to see the land of Goshen mentioned seven times. That sure to gets your attention. And some things that Joseph does to make sure they get here. So, we'll find out why more time is spent on that as we look at the road to Goshen. Last week we saw... As Jacob finished talking about death again and said it is enough, we compared it to Jesus. It is finished. And we took that question, where are we in that that line? Are we on more the Jesus side? It is finished. In which we are, we're not looking at what we can get out of life but what we can bring to it. Or are we more on the Jacob side trying to have a life that makes us happy? Here in one. So Israel took his journey with all that he had. Now, just for clarity here, most of the time in your outline, I'm going to, and I'm going to be referring to him as Jacob, more so for just the distinction between Israel as a nation and Jacob as the individual. But we are seeing the uh, references to him increase more as calling him Israel. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Now Jacob is older We know uh, 130 years old, how many people like the idea of moving at 40? How many like the idea of moving when you are 60, even 80? He's 130 years old and is being asked to uproot from his country, put all his stuff on some carts in haste, and move to a new country. I don't know how many people will get excited about that. Of course, he's right now probably blinded by the fact that he's going to get to see Joseph. And that uh, means everything. So he packs everything up pretty quickly. But he's older. He's probably very attached to his home. I don't know about him, you, but I, I can you imagine if you were asked to be picked up and moved to a country that does not speak a language you know, that has cultures that you're not used to, Customs, you're just, I mean, they're not bad or good. It's just, they're they're just different. This is not what you're used to and how much adjustment am I going to have to be doing? All these things would kind of go through your mind. So the packing was probably done in haste per uh, Joseph's request and it may have been a, it may not have been until he gets here to Beersheba that he actually sits down and thinks about what he is doing. That he's leaving the land of Canaan. He is leaving The promised land. It says here that he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. We only see this term used one other time in Genesis. And it's Genesis chapter 31, verse 54. We don't have to turn there. But this is where you're going to see uh, he and Laban offered sacrifices. They made a covenant between them. And they brought God in as the witness. If either of us breaks this covenant, if either of us does anything harmful to the other... God as the witness will come in and, and stand in. Now they both honored God, which is why this that thing would work. You can't do that with people in the world. When we see uh, Ahimelech, he's mentioned a few times, and they've had some covenants uh drawn with him, they don't bring in the offering and sacrifices, they don't bring this before God. But here in in this one, he does. So this was, uh, back in with Laban, it's basically a non-aggressive pact that they had. And brought in God as the witness. So they offered the sacrifices, they ate a meal together, and they all slept in the wilderness on the mountain. But if either party failed to live up to what they had agreed to, God would be the witness and God would be the judge. Now, Beersheba has a, is a place of history for Jacob. If we go back in the book of Genesis and you look up the name Beersheba, you will see that Hagar was sent out from this area as she wandered the wilderness of Beersheba. That's in Genesis 21 and verse 14. Later on down in verse 33, Abraham had called upon God here in Beersheba. He settled here after offering Isaac up on Mount Moriah. It says that after he had offered his son, he he came to Beersheba and he settled there and that's where he made a home. Isaac was visited here by God and a lot of rough history with the Philistines was settled here for Abraham and Isaac. They both had some rough history with the Philistines, Ahimelech in particular. And if you look at Genesis twenty six twenty three through 33, you'll see some of that. We also see that when Jacob fled from his brother and went to the land of Haran, he left the area of Beersheba to do it. So it would seem that this was home for him for at least a little while. So when he comes here to Beersheba, he's got to be thinking all the history because this place has a lot of history for him in particular, for his father and for his grandfather. God had done a lot of things with him and he comes to Beersheba. He may be looking around and seeing certain things. There were wells that were dug. There were battles over wells. There were altars that were made. There was a tree that was planted. All these things would come about and he's looking around and seeing as Oh yeah, Abraham planted that tree. Oh yeah, my father dug that well. And these things may be coming up to him as he begins to think about this and when you begin to think about history you go through history and compare it to how you are today at least that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to go through history and see how history compares to today if he sat down and began to think about the history here and what he was doing he may have had some serious questions that maybe he didn't have initially when Joseph said hey pick up and move on down here he may go back to what is written the account that's written in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham faced the famine in the land, and he decided to go where? To Egypt. That didn't work out so well for him, did it? God didn't tell him to go down there, but he went on down there anyway, and, and um, it, it was not a good thing. In uh, Genesis 26, we see that Isaac considered doing the exact same thing when there was a famine in the land. He was going to go down to Egypt, and God specifically appeared to him and said, No, do not go to the land of Egypt. And so he had a similar experience that Abraham with Pharaoh with the Philistine king Ahimelech. In fact, let me just read this here for you. Genesis 26, 1 through 3. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Ahimelech, Abimelech, I'm sorry, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. So we're sitting there thinking about the history of all this. He's thinking, first off, Abraham came here, and there was a famine. and He chased off down to Egypt, and God didn't want him to, and bad things happened. Isaac was here in the land. There was a famine, and he was going to go down to Egypt. And God said, No, don't go down to Egypt. I'm here in the land, and there's a famine. And I'm considering going down to Egypt. The first time we tried it, God said no. He didn't listen. second time we tried it, God said no, and he listened. third time we tried it, maybe God is not in this. Maybe I'm not supposed to go to Egypt. Because no one else was. They were supposed to stay in a land where the famine was. Could you see where that could happen? I could certainly see myself if I'm in that situation... Maybe I need to stay here. Why am I fleeing? Why am I going? What is it that is moving me to do this? Has God really said anything to me about going? And so he offered sacrifices to the Lord. In verse 2, Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now visions of the night, either he was awake and had a vision or he was sleeping and had a dream. So one of those things. It may have been a vision in the night. He may have been supposed to be sleeping, but it may be what's on his mind is all this stuff about Egypt. Should I go down to the land of Egypt? Because it has not worked out well for our people. And he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Well, that's got to bring them some assurance because everybody else was told no don't go so god gives them four assurances first do not fear to go as god would make them a great nation there don't be afraid to go down when you go down there there i'm going to make you a great nation the second thing god will go down with him to egypt don't you worry about, i'm i'm not having you go by yourself i'm going with you i'm not staying here In the land of Canaan, expecting you to stay here, I am going with you. If God's going to go with him down to Egypt, that means God's not staying in the land of Canaan. But Canaan is the land of promise. Third, God will bring him up again. So he says, you'll come up again. Now, whether he knows at this point that he's coming up as a dead man, uh, we don't know. He may suspect that. And fourth, Joseph will be with him and bring him comfort in death. Is that Joseph will close your eyes. So at the time that he dies, Joseph will be with him, and that will bring him, that brings him great comfort. So God showed up. Basically, Jacob is going to die in the land of Egypt, and despite all his talk of death that he's had, because he's had a lot of talk of death, we pointed out some of that, he's going to live another 17 years there in Egypt. I wonder, did he change his talk? We don't have any more occurrences of him talking about, oh, I should just die now. Maybe he did, maybe he changed it. Uh, That part we we don't know. Verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives, and the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben with Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmai. The sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jaqin, Zohar, and Shaul. The son of Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, Merari. The sons of Judah were Er, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon were Sered, Elan, Jalil. These were the sons of Leah whom she bore to Jacob in. Paden Aram and his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were 33. The sons of Gad were Zephion, Ziph- Haggai, Shunai, Ezban, Eri, Erodi, and Ereli. The sons of Asher were Jimna, Ishua, Ishui, Beriah, and Sarad, their sister. And the sons of Beriah were Habir and Malachi. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and she, and these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. So we had thirty-three persons, then we had sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of An, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Bechir, Ashbel, Gerar, Neman, Ehi, Rosh, Mufim, Hupim, and Ard. Boy, what a name that was of all the other <laughs> These were the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob. Fourteen persons in all. The sons of Dan were Hushim. The sons of Nephtali were Jaziel, Gani, Jazir, Shalim. These were the sons of Bil- Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body, besides Jacob's sons, wives, were sixty-six persons in all. The sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who went to Egypt, were seventy. Now, interesting um, little genealogy, a little interesting place to throw this in. But Moses wants to show you everyone who left and, uh, out of the land of Canaan and came into the land of Egypt. This is probably not an exhaustive list of everyone because you will find very few daughters mentioned. And there were probably more daughters than were were there. Probably some sons were left off who were not significant. What you're going to see if you do some comparison, if you go over to Numbers chapter 26, in Numbers chapter 26, Moses specifically lists all the tribal leaders. And in looking at all the tribal leaders, the tribal leaders trace back to these people these people who come out of of, uh, of here, when when Moses is going to leave them out four generations later, we're going to see that all the tribal leaders come back to these people that come out, these ones that are named. So that's probably why he focuses on them. These are the ones who came out. You want to see your tribal leaders? These are the ones who came out with Jacob. They were with the group who left Canaan, came on out here. So he's establishing that because his purpose in writing this is not so much to tell us everything that happened with Joseph, but to tell people what happens for what they need to know, especially for the time that he was living with the Israelites, and this would impact them a great deal. So we would look at this. We might miss the correlation between here and Numbers 26. But if you want to spend some time going through Numbers 26, you'll see the genealogies and the specific leaders of the tribes that were there. In verse 28, let's go over there. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. So Jacob says, "Judah, look, we're only going to make so much time. If you go on ahead and get the how we're supposed to go, get the GPS coordinates so we can punch it into our phone. We know where we're going. Go on ahead, get the directions from Joseph, and then come on back here to us and lead us into the land." And so the purpose was that the caravan that would come would never come into where Pharaoh was. They would come right to the land of Goshen. So Judah is sent on ahead. He meets with Joseph. Joseph tells him where to go. And he goes back to the crowd, leads them on in there. And so they are all now in the land of Goshen. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. He's still talking death. But eventually it seems like he must get out of this. Uh, At least we don't have any more mention of it. So just a couple of verses put on this, but can you imagine the, the, what is going on here? Joseph has not seen his father for a long time. His father just came into the understanding that Joseph was still alive. And so he's only had days to prepare for this and to get ready and to anticipate this meeting, but Joseph has had years. He has had years for this. He had the 13 years that he was serving as a slave and in the prisons in, in Egypt. Then he had the, the uh, seven years of the, of the plenty. And then we had the couple of extra years that were thrown in there. So we're looking at over probably over nine years that he has been anticipating this meeting. And only when he sees the brothers come in does he know that it's finally getting close. Can you imagine knowing, I am going to see my father. I'm going to see my brothers. The day is coming. And to keep hanging on that for all those years. And then to finally have it come. And to finally know that this is it. Joseph is on his way in the chariot to go see his father. His father who thought he was dead. And Joseph and his father apparently got along pretty well. The rest of the brothers didn't seem to as as much. But they certainly did. And we really don't have a whole lot of time or attention spent on this. I think we spent more time on the reunion with the brothers than we did on this. Verse 31, then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. I don't know about you, but if I'm writing this this whole thing out, I could have shortened this. Because I could simply have said, Pharaoh wanted them to be in the best of land. Joseph determined the best of land was Goshen. And so we sent them to Goshen. Why is all this detail given us about Joseph coaching the brothers? And in the next chapter, we're going to see many of these things repeated. He is coaching the brothers. This is how I need you to answer. This is how I need you. This is what I'm going to say to Pharaoh. This is what you're going to say to Pharaoh. Now, whenever you see that much coaching going on, what does that usually mean? When we've all watched law law programs, we watched uh, Matlock, and we watched uh, who's the one where they really show you the uh, all the interaction between them and the um, um, Ethel and I. We talked about this old series. Is it McBride? Oh, yes. Yeah, I like I like that show. Um, and they they you can actually see them begin to coach. No, you can't say that. No, don't go this way because you do this. It opens this door, and we're we're co- Joseph is coaching them. He is coaching them on how to answer. Why is Joseph spending so much time coaching them on how to answer? I began to ponder this question. Because he spends a good bit of time on it. And then after he preps them, he goes back to Pharaoh and he gives them the story. Look, this is what's going on. This is who they are. And Egyptians don't like them. So we're going to put them over here. I think it's best. And he's trying to sell them on all the benefits that would be there. Now one of the things that would be is the land of Goshen is not too far from Joseph is at. So Joseph can go and visit his family and still stay on to do what the Pharaoh wants them to do. So that's gotta be a benefit. And he can say that, look, I don't have to move anywhere. I don't gotta go anywhere. My family's gonna be here, but I can go out and visit. It's only a, you know, an hour or two chariot drive. We can go on down there and we can, we can visit them. I can come on back. But he says, let's read it over again. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, so he's got the brothers and the whole, all the household here. I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him. Now I need you to know this is the story I'm telling them. <clears throat> my brothers and those in my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds for their occupation that has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation that you shall say... Your servant's occupation has been livestock from our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So I expect that what's going to happen is, or at least Joseph is anticipating this might happen, that if Pharaoh has them before and he says, what is your occupation? Shepherds, well, what else you do? Surely you've got to have something else because we don't look too highly on that. So what else you do? And one of them might come up and he say, well, I've also done some blacksmithing. Oh, okay. How about you? Anything else that you do? Well, I've also done uh, some farming. And they, they may talk about some other things that they might do. And and Pharaoh would get the idea, you know what? I know how good Joseph is. I'd like to really plug all you guys in and uh, help us out in the area of blacksmithing or in the area of crops or whatever it might be. I'd really like to bring you guys on in and use some of your expertise on here. Joseph wants none of that. He is protecting them from it. He is shielding them from that. He says, you tell them that you do nothing but shepherd. You tell them that your fathers did nothing but shepherd. That you have learned no other trait, no other uh, occupation except shepherding. Because if they know that you, the only thing that you're good for is shepherding, then they won't try and put you in any other occupation. They're going to keep you right over here. They're not going to say, oh, you're Joseph's brother. Boy, you must be good. We need to bring you in and and, uh, maybe you can help us organize this or manage this or do it. I mean, Joseph, he is quite the organizer. Boy, he can manage. We've seen the things that he's done. Surely someone else has that talent or that ability. And Joseph is is doing all this. So when you see that much of time and that much attention put to make sure that they go nowhere else in Egypt except the land of Goshen, there has to be a reason. There's a reason why this is mentioned seven times after it's first brought up in chapter 45. Seven times this is brought about. Now Joseph has his reasons for wanting to do this. We're going to look at some of these here in just a minute. But he had to make sure that the reasons that are brought up to Pharaoh were ones Pharaoh would see the wisdom in. Understand this. The reasons he is bringing up to the brothers, the reason he bringing up to Pharaoh, are not the reasons he wants they're not his motivation. This is not what's keeping Joseph to put them in the land of Goshen. But what he knows is, and this is what I, I'm convinced on this, when Joseph had the plan and sought after God as to what he was supposed to do with the brothers, he also had the plan about bringing them to Egypt. And God said, when you bring them to Egypt, I want you to put them here. I think he got that plan directly from God. Because God said to him, I will make them a great nation. That's what he said to Jacob. If he said that to Jacob, and Joseph right now is a spiritual head of this household, I am almost, I can be almost convinced that God said something to Jacob about this. I'm going to make them a great nation here. They cannot integrate with the Egyptians. They have to be kept separate. And so Joseph came up with a, with a place, came up with something to, to do as far as occupation that would make sure they would stay separate. But Pharaoh is not going to buy into this. I don't want you to bring them here, making a great nation out of them. That would scare Pharaoh off. He doesn't see the spiritual wisdom in this and keeping them separate. So he's got to come up with a reason that makes sense to Pharaoh. Now, I didn't put this in your outline, but I had a little note for myself. If we present the wisdom of God to the world, they will likely not see it and reject the direction we wish to take. Just like with Daniel and the meat offered to idols. Daniel had a spiritual reason to not take the meat offered to idols. He could not present that to Ariok because he wasn't going to hear it. He wasn't going to see it. He does not try to present spiritual wisdom spiritual principles to the world doesn't try and do it he says alright we've got to go after this in a natural So he and Daniel's argument is completely natural it is meaningless to Daniel he does not care that we will be healthier what he cares about is that we don't need to meet offered idols but he sells Ariok on the fact that look you do this for this amount of time and at the end of it, you see if we're not healthier. You see if we are not hitting what you want us to hit better than the other folks. See, that's something he can relate to. Too often, folks, we are selling the world the spiritual wisdom of God on the spiritual benefits to the kingdom of God. That's why they're not buying it. They can't see it. They're in the kingdom of darkness. And they won't understand that. Pharaoh is in the kingdom of darkness. He worships his idols. Joseph cannot go to him with a spiritual principle. He cannot go with him with God's plan and God's purpose. He has to go with him with something else. All right, we've got to show it to, here to something else. Though I know you guys can do other things. Do not tell him you can do it. As far as Pharaoh is concerned, you are only shepherds. Now, that is their main occupation. That is the main thing that it seems to be doing. But it would seem that there are other things that they do as well. And we are not mentioning those things. Understand, I'm not mentioning to Pharaoh. You're not mentioning to Pharaoh. If you get inquired about, if you get quizzed, you do not do anything but shepherd. Understand that. We have to know what the world considers important and frame what God wants us to do in light of what they can understand. Just like Daniel did and just like Joseph does here. Now, Pharaoh had already promised him the best in the land to settle in. He'd already said that. We're going to give you the best of the land. What I I always was amazed at that statement of Pharaoh is if you have the best of the land in the in the land of Egypt, is it vacant? I mean, you look in the United States, where's the best of the land? And are people living there? Yeah, people are not living in the wilderness areas, the desert areas. Uh, They don't live there. But they live in the best parts of the land. So I've always wondered what happens to the people that live in the best part of the land. Now maybe the land of Goshen just wasn't, it's the best part of the land as far as they are concerned but not the best part of the land as far as the Egyptians are concerned. That's all I can really figure out because it doesn't seem like they displace anyone. They're just going in there. And so Joseph, he sends them, I want you to go to Goshen. I want you to be there. And then when he goes to Pharaoh and he presents the case, because he does this in front of Pharaoh, not necessarily in the land of Goshen, he says, look, they're already there. And um, we've already got things settled. They're already out there. This is the bet. They're happy with that land. It's close enough to me. Uh, they're shepherds. They'll be away. You know, the Egyptians, they don't like shepherds. This way they don't have to, to deal with them. We're not disrupting the life of the Egyptians. So he gives an argument that Pharaoh can understand. He put some time into this. Alright God if you want this to be accomplished while they're here I need to find a place that we can put them that we can isolate them and we can keep them away from all this. So Pharaoh had already promised them the best in the land and Joseph knows that Pharaoh is going to want to talk to his family. That's why he's coaching them. He's going to want to talk to some of them at least. So he sends them to Goshen. So they're right where they want them to be. Again why Goshen? It had plenty of pasture for flocks. This is the thing that the Goshen was known about. Lots of pasture there. It was close enough to Joseph that he could visit without moving himself. It would keep them removed from Egyptian culture and life. The isolation would help them build a nation. Now Joseph was strong enough to not allow the culture of Egypt to affect him. Joseph had been in this culture. He didn't have any protection. There was no isolation for him he was in a in a home as a slave you you don't get any privacy you don't get any isolation but he's is strong enough to stand up against it and he did not allow the culture and the religion of Egypt to get into him but the brothers are probably not that strong now joseph had um, he had been in there uh for at least uh I'd say about 9 years right now after he was elevated to that position, he was given an Egyptian wife. He was given an Egyptian name. He has an Egyptian home. He lives in an Egyptian city. But he still stays Hebrew. Even when the brothers came, the Egyptians sat over here, the Hebrew brothers sat over here, and Joseph sat by himself. He maintained who he was, even though all this other influence is around. Not everybody can do that. Some people have that way of not letting what's going on around them affect them. I don't know that the brothers were that way. And Joseph wants to make sure that this whole group stays separate. Now, as much separate as they had done in the land of Goshen, isolation, how much of Egypt still got off of them? Can you imagine that? They were in, a, in an ideal spot and still Egypt got off of them. Joseph was in the midst of it and Egypt didn't get into him. Now, I wanted to tie in some of these things from the beginning because a lot of people would love to have a supernatural dream whenever they face a life-changing moment or decision. How many of you, when you have a big life-changing moment, new job, new something, something's coming around, wouldn't you just like to have a dream and God just tells you this is what you ought to do? Or some kind of a vision or something supernatural happens that just lays it all out for you. Look at Jacob. And say, boy, if you would do that for Jacob, why would you do it for me? So I went back into the Word and I began to think of some of the situations that were there. I came up with three reasons that these things came to people. Most people don't get the dreams and the visions on what God wants them to do. Most people didn't do it. But there were certain people that they did come to. And I saw there were basically three classifications of people that we saw this. The first one, it came to people who are too weak for the task. And the vision was to empower them and make them stronger. I might put Jacob into that category. I know I would put Gideon in that category. If you want an example, Gideon is one. Too weak for the task. So God gave him that vision that strengthened him and he, he felt empowered to go out there and to do it. That's the first one. Second one, fierce opposition would be encountered. God gave it to people who were not necessarily weak, but he knew that fierce, not just opposition, but fierce opposition was coming and that they would be encountered. Paul would be a good example of this. He had uh, uh, many visions, but fierce opposition came against him. Every place he went, he seemed to face opposition. the third one greater understanding was required they had to have a greater understanding of what was going on than they currently had in order for them to accomplish what God wanted to do best example of this I can think of is Daniel that after he gained understanding on something an angel would be dispatched to make him understand there was a need for an understanding on this thing of, of what was going to happen So too weak for the task, fierce opposition would be encountered, and greater understanding was required. You can also make this note if you want to. You can put Peter into each of these three categories. (laughs) There were times these things happened for Peter because he was too weak for the task. There were times these things happened to Peter because the opposition would be fierce. And there were times that these things happened to Peter because greater understanding was required than what he had. You can ponder that on your own, see if you can come up with the examples in Peter's life for, for each of those. We go out on the strength of the understanding that we have, and most times we don't get a dream, we don't get a vision, we have the understanding that we have gained, either through revelation that God gave us in our spirit, but something that is not as spectacular as the dreams and the visions that these people had. So then we go out on the strength of that understanding. The understanding that we have knowing that we move the world. That what we move the world with is not the same as what will move the church. That's an understanding of things we have to have. What will move the church will not move the world. What will move the world shouldn't move the church. Worldly Christians are moved more by what moves the world than what should move Christians. So you'll see people in the in the Word where they sought after God as to how to present what they had to the world. Because you can't go to the world with the same thing. Even now. We're facing things. People are facing decisions just like they have in the past, but right now our our main decisions are front, the decisions of the Uh, To be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated. To be uh, going along with with certain things, certain ways of thinking, or not to go along with certain ways of thinking. We have these these things that, that are in front of us. And we have what we know, which moves us. God has said, God has shown me, God has directed me. And that's good enough for us to not do what the world wants us to do. But we encounter sometimes people in the world that are not moved by those things that were moved by. So just as it was with Daniel when he had Ariok to convince, just as it was with Joseph when he had Pharaoh to convince, God can give us what we need to tell people in the world to to reach people in the world. All right, you have this wisdom. You have this understanding. They're not going to receive that. They're not going to get that. So go after them with this. Show them this you look at Jesus the way that he encountered people when he encountered the Pharisees he could not always argue with them spiritual principles because they couldn't hear it when he when they brought the woman who was caught in the act of adultery he couldn't say to them spiritual principles that he probably would taught his disciples so that they would understand the error of that way what he had to do was write some things in the sand that ministered them on a different level and one by one they left because they were more worldly than they were godly. We will always encounter, not just today, people have done it before and people will do it again, we will always encounter people that are worldly, who will not accept the light of the kingdom of the gospel, and will not accept the wisdom of his ways. God understands that. And just as God gave something to Joseph, Joseph, this is how you can get Pharaoh on board with what I want to do. Just as Daniel got Ariok on board with what God wanted to do. Just as Jesus was able to get people around the Pharisees on board with what God wanted to do so that that peer pressure they felt and they couldn't push for the thing they wanted to do. God will give you wisdom on how to do it. Don't throw up your arms. Don't feel left out. Well, God God can't help me out on this one. These are some examples right here where God gave them a worldly way to relate a godly principle. Notice that Pharaoh was never enlightened of God's plan. He was never enlightened that God wants to bring them here to make a nation out of them. He was never told the things that Jacob had heard in the dream that he had. And he sure didn't hear the things that Joseph was revealed that God revealed to him, however it was that Joseph heard those things. Because Pharaoh didn't need to know. Pharaoh wouldn't have done anything with it, or surely would not have done anything good with it. If you begin to share godly principles with worldly people, will shut down their ability to hear from us. Well, they're just some nut. They talk about these, I can't even understand what they say. And from that point on, you're written off. You don't have to do that. Go to God. God, how is it that I can relate to my whoever? Boss, worldly person that's in your life that's trying to do something, move something in a direction that goes against what God has shown you to do. If you'll seek after God, He'll show it to you. He'll tell you how to deal with it. Sometimes that what I have... What I have to do, what God has given me to do involves some cooperation with the world the ungodly or even carnal Christians so seek after God on how to present what you know to do or have been assigned to those who don't honor godly things don't expect them to honor godly things understand what it is that they do honor and reach them on that level Pharaoh was reached on a level that he could understand. And you, there's other examples. i just give you a couple here, but there's other examples where these things have been, been done as well. But don't ever throw your hands up. The enemy loves to get inside of our psyche and begin to tell us, you're stuck, God wants you to do this, and there's no way that you can do that here in this situation. You're lost. The battle's over. Just laugh at them. The battle is not over. And God will show me a way. Just as he did with Joseph. Just as he did with Daniel. And just as he will do for me. Well, Father, we thank you no matter what it is that we face in this world. We have a God who has wisdom far above. And though this world will not recognize... Or understand the wisdom that comes from above. You can show us how we can reach them on things they do understand. Things they can comprehend. I thank you that you help us to do that. Give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.